Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning into the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of to-the-point interviews with a vast variety of professionals to help you gain the exposure and detailed info you need to find a career path that'll fit you like a glove. In this episode, you'll be hearing from my dear friend, Taylor Arndt, a strategy consultant with Accenture. This episode is paired with my interview with Nathan Schaub, a management consultant at a small firm, so you could learn a little bit more about the differences between working in strategy, management, and technology consulting, as well as the main differences between working for a global consulting firm versus a smaller firm with a more local focus. I think I have a lot of care for this field that I'm highlighting in these two episodes because this is how I started off my career, as you'll hear me mention a couple times with Taylor. Make sure you check out both episodes if you're interested in a career as a consultant. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Taylor Arndt. Taylor, thank you so much for joining me to share about your experience in consulting. I'm really excited to hear your perspective, especially as someone who has made the somewhat rare leap from the management consulting branch of your firm to the strategy branch of it. That's something a lot of people talk about, few people do, but there's a lot of other reasons why I'm excited to hear your perspective. If you would, go ahead and give us a little intro of where you work and what your role is there. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. Really excited to be able to speak with you and share my experiences in the consulting realm. Um, So a little bit of background where I work. I am currently employed with Accenture Consulting in Dallas. I work for their strategy branch in their supply chain operations strategy group, um, where I have found myself I think specializing is probably too gratuitous of a word um, because it's only been a few years, um, but I find myself specializing in the communications, high technology, and aerospace industries in that operations role. Sounds really casual and not impressive at all. (laughs) Great. So tell us, uh, where did you go to college and what did you get your degree in? Slash, this is where... Okay, let's just face it, you're going to hear Texas A&M University a lot on this podcast, so giggum. Go ahead, though. Answer the I question. I was going to hold back a giggum, but now I can just giggum away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did go to Texas A&M University down in our humble college station. I graduated in the spring of 2016, where I was in the business school in their honors program and earned a degree in business management. Swell. Well... <laughs> Wow, I really never pictured myself saying swell in response to someone telling me their major. That's cool, though. Um, So tell us about the career progression that you've had since graduating college. Of course. So I, after graduating college that spring, I took a nice fun hiatus for a few months um, and then eventually started in the fun corporate world um, where I was in a consulting development program that is specific to Accenture. So it's designed to be this two-year incubator for our new undergrad analyst in the Accenture Consulting Group um, where you have the flexibility to begin to find out what industries and what functional areas you like. 
So I wasn't aligned to any specific area, which is something that drew me to Accenture's development program because I had that flexibility. Um, but I was within their management and technology consulting practice. So I found myself on projects that were often um, tangential to a technology implementation. Um, I was never the one in the computer coding, but I was often the one working with the developers and the testing team, um, defining the processes, and then also defining the impacts on the organization and helping my client manage either change or organizational restructuring due to the impact of the technology. So I spent two years in that development program across a couple of different projects and clients to really get my feet wet and start to determine where my interests lied. Um, and it was in one project that was a little bit out of the realm of the development program um, in the strategy space that my eyes really started to um, pick up. And I realized that this is the work that was a little bit more motivating for me. Um, it was more strategic in nature. And so rather than being aligned to technology implementation or a little more tactical and process development, um, it was looking at the overall business strategies for a aerospace organization and determining what are their large scale organization design impacts that they need to make over the next few years. Um, and so it was that experience that got me excited and inquiring about a potential transfer to our Accenture strategy business, um, which is, we like to call a big dot jump um, because it truly is a completely different business um, within our organization. And from there, I started learning more about what are the types of projects that those, that organization does, um, who do I need to know in that organization in order to do that, and then eventually, and when I say eventually, I mean eventually it took a little while, I was able to navigate over to our strategy side of the business. Um, and so have been there um, and graduated from their similar development program about a year and a half ago, um, and am now a consultant in that business upon graduating a development program, you align to a functional or industry area, um, and that's where I found my happy home of operations and supply chain. Yes. Oh, man. I have to give Accenture kudos for this really special program that they've designed for their incoming, I, I think you said analysts, like mm -hmm. to give you the expectation and freedom that you would explore and then have some agency in the decision in what you're specializing in. That is very special um, and different from um, what I experienced in the consulting firm that I was at, being slotted in a specific direction very early, actually, as you were um, experiencing the process design and tech implementation side, that's similar to what I was doing. So um, just to give a little bit more color and detail for the listeners who might be learning about the consulting industry for the first time, that is something to highlight that's really special and extremely productive, I think, um, for the business to be able to um, empower their analysts with the ability to choose where they specialize as they experience more things. Um, I'm curious to explore a little bit more into your perspective on what the difference is between the management or tech consulting side 
and the strategy consulting side of the business? Yeah, so I typically think of consulting, and this is from my experience at my firm, so every firm is going to have their own lexicon, um, but I think of consulting is offered in kind of three camps. So you have your strategy camp, you have your management consulting, and you have your technology. Um, so I'll work technology on up. Um, technology used to be, I think, a really classic IT connotation. It was the implementation of your ERP systems um, to make sure that your payroll was working and to make sure that your employees could log their time um, or customer facing as well. But it has evolved drastically over the last several years. Um, and even before that, it's always evolving. And it's much more than just your traditional system implementation. Um, it's everything from defining your company's digital strategy to how every system integrates within a company. Um, and ultimately, it's an enabler of the business strategy. So you have everything as far as what a consultant in the technology consultant world does um, is no longer your traditional um, process development, implementation, testing, you know, release kind of world. Um, it's much more inclusive of that, but you do still have your traditional technology consulting roles. Um, it's just what type of technology are we talking about is a lot more unique than it used to be. Um, so that's technology consulting bucket, and then there's the management consulting. So I think of that as often being a little bit farther up the value chain from technology. So a decision from the business um, has been made on what their future strategy is going to be, and it's their task to help execute it. So they're the ones that were given a complex business case that said, we can save X amount of money if you make this decision, but we need to know how. Um, they're the ones that take that and go down two levels and they understand, well, what are the processes here and how does that actually impact the people that are now having processes changed? Um, and then what are all of the downstream impacts for all of my different systems because of this strategic change? Um, so they're working hand in hand oftentimes with the technology world, but oftentimes they're not. Um, and it's simply organizational and it's simply process, but it can be tactical or detailed in nature. Um, then the step up from that would be your strategy consulting. And what I think is often traditionally thought of, of consulting, um, it isn't necessarily always whiteboards and big thinking, but it is your classic situation where a client comes with a strategic opportunity or a strategic problem and they're asking someone with greater expertise or someone with more hands to help them figure out that situation, whether that's to enter a new market or to change suppliers um, and drastically change their um, delivery routes for their customers. It's the really large scale, often costly decisions um, that are often quick and dirty, but it's the highest end of, I like to say the value chain of decision making is in the strategy consulting camp. Yeah, oh my goodness, that was potentially, uh, no, certainly, the best <laughs> uh, breakdown uh, and descriptor of those different um, three biggest buckets that consulting typically falls into. Um, and I'm curious, uh, on the strategy side, 
that must involve quite a bit of statistical analysis and analytics, I'm imagining. Yeah, I think that's the fun part about what is strategy consulting right now in our rapidly changing world is because it is no longer um, the really high level whiteboarding conversations. There's kind of two ways that I think strategy work can go nowadays. Um, one is heavily influenced by data um, because now more than ever we have more data at our hands, um, but also the decisions that we make um, as costly as they are, our clients have the expectation that they should be as well researched and, and thought out and tested as possible before they make such a significant investment. Um, and so that means that we are now adapting our actual operations as a strategist to be more data-driven and data-led. Um, it often means that we're working hand-in-hand -hand with analytics partners. Um, I'm often not the one running complex SQL codes, <laughs> but I am the one that is taking their inputs um, and drawing conclusions from advanced analytics um, and then developing different business strategies off of that and then working hand-in-hand -hand with my analytics partners of well, let's test this scenario now and let's test this scenario now and see what potential uplift or um, impact there is. So one route is very data-driven. Mm -hmm. um, another route, which you often see them in partnership, is very human-driven. Mm -hmm. um, and so you'll see a lot of times now the design thinking methodology being pulled into our strategy practices because we have realized that a human element to every strategic decision is necessary, um, both in the ideation, but also in the execution. Um, and so that means we're a lot more collaborative with our clients in developing our strategies than ever before. It is no longer a group of consultants running to their conference room, locking themselves up for three weeks and then emerging to see sunlight. Um, it is a really hand in hand process um, but it's also human in nature. Um, and so you'll see data in humans as how our strategy work has evolved over the last few years. Oh my goodness, that really does seem so cool. And it's no wonder why this seems to be, I think, the pinnacle or maybe the picture that people have when they think of consultants. Um, it really does seem like such compelling work. And so I... <laughs> I said so, this isn't necessarily like a related question, but I am curious about what the um, role progression and pace of that looks like in terms of promotions um, on the, I guess, average level um, for a firm the size of yours. Yeah, I think Accenture's model is fairly similar to most large consulting firms. So I will speak from my experience, but I think it's fairly relative. Um, so I'll speak graduating from undergrad. Um, so you join the company as an analyst. We call them analyst. And then after a year, you're a senior analyst. But essentially, you're at this analyst role for one to two years. Um, that is when you're doing simple tasks like you're pulling together decks. You're analyzing data. Um, you have some client interactions, but you're not responsible for those client relationships. Um, You'll typically sit at that role for 
one to two years. Um, upon that, you're promoted to consultant. Um, that's when you start taking on more responsibility. You might be owning an entire work stream of work or um, a large deliverable. Um, and as you become a stronger and stronger consultant, you take on more work and also more client relationships um, and also foster the analyst on your team um, and help develop them in an apprentice-like model. That you'll sit in for two to four years. So I would say most firms have fasterizers would sit in like a two year, but um, most probably sit three to four years, mm -hmm. um, I would say, before a promotion to a manager level. Um, that is when you're fully owning a work stream um, and a team. You likely have two to three consultants under you or several analysts, every project's different, but you definitely are leading people on your team um, and you're leading your clients as well. Um, so a lot of responsibility, you'll sit there for probably about three to five years as you become a stronger, stronger manager and then you're promoted to senior manager. Um, that level is owning an entire project. So you have multiple work streams, you're the main client counterpart. Um, senior managers often will be in that role for three to five years um, as they build their case <laughs> to use consultant lingo for promotion to managing director. We use that language. Um, other firms use partners. We're a public company. So um, just the structure is a little bit different, but the role itself is the same. And when it comes to responsibility, it's full ownership for selling the work um, and owning the executive relationship for future work yeah i would say that is completely <laughs> comparable to most of the other firms um, that i've heard about and certainly the one that i worked in as well hey there if you're listening to this episode right now it's probably because you're somewhere on the range of mildly curious to high-key desperate to find a career path that will be an amazing rewarding and exciting fit for you if indeed you are still holding out hope that that's even possible which i can assure you is completely possible as i've given dozens of christians one a reformed view of work from mundane responsibility to actually the joyful gift that it is two, help identifying their unique calling and three the help they need to practically land the job that's aligned with it if it sounds like a dream to have a tried and true career coach come alongside you to help you confidently discern which career path you're called to pursue amidst the infinite sea of options that are so overwhelming as well as help you nail all the practicals like networking, resumes, interviews, and negotiations to save you a load of time, stress, and dead-end job applications that are just seemingly such a common experience. They don't have to be. If any of that sounds extremely exciting, then I want to invite you to apply for my deep dive career coaching experience. Go to my website, kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through whatever might be holding you back so you could fulfill the vision and hopes you have for your career. I want to let you know I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and if you're serious and if you're ready to accelerate your path to building a meaningful and impactful career aligned with 
who God uniquely made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to book a free consultation with me this week and learn more. Okay, now back to the episode. Tell us, this is the one I'm really excited about. What is your typical day in the life like? Day in the life? Well, let's say pre-quarantine. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> when I had to, you know, look presentable and be in front of clients um, and also travel places. Um, right now, my commute is a foot and a half. Um, <laughs> but typically, typically, I do have a longer commute um, that involves a plane. And I would say a typical day if I was on a traveling client, because I think that gives a good um, anecdotal experience of what it's like um, to be staffed in a city you don't live in. I would leave the hotel um, sharing a car with my manager, someone on my team, where we just chat, we, you know, move the ox cord um, and play songs. We get to the office mid-morning um, and we typically start with a daily stand-up. Um, so that's our whole team getting together, determining what are our priorities and objectives for the day. Um, and do we have any key client meetings um, for the day? So we're all level set on what we should getting done. Um, and at that point, we all put our heads down because we're still sitting at the same conference room <laughs> table um, and we don't have offices. So we all just put in our headphones to focus on our individual work. Um, I often spend a lot of my day analyzing data. Um, and so I often am in charge of building a business case um, and I'm taking inputs from the client, cleansing their data. I'm working with an analytics team if we have one. Um, to get the outputs from their data analysis and building that together. Um, and then I'm reviewing that with my team and my leadership um, kind of ad hoc throughout the day. Then I often have a client review meeting. Um, a large part of my day is often not only analyzing the data, but then creating and telling a story with the outputs of that data. So in my client meeting beforehand, I've gathered a summary of that. Often my communication vehicle is PowerPoint, but other times it'll be something more interactive um, or data-driven like Tableau or Power BI. Um, but often it is PowerPoint because it's quick to communicate with. Um, and we review what are our outputs. Maybe that includes the status report of where we're at, if we need anything from them, um, and then if they have any questions for us. Um, we'll leave that client meeting, we'll take back our work product, we'll make changes if there were any edits. Um, and then we often have client interviews or SME interviews. Um, so that's gathering even more inputs from our clients, continuing to socialize. Oh, but wait, sorry. I can't even, I almost was like, I, oh, got, I, so got, far. I got this, Taylor. I, I remember this language, but apparently I don't. It's been two years since I left this field. I got so far without using an acronym. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm proud of that. <laughs> As a consultant, that's really world-class. Um, SME is the language I use for subject matter expert. There we go. I'm sorry. Please continue. Um, so that's something I love about a company our size is that we have the capability to tap into people who have like really, really 
granular expertise in certain areas. Um, and so we often call them in for support with we have a question that's something a little bit out of our traditional scope. Um, and so that can be bouncing off our ideas of like, we just want to make sure it's applicable for this industry or it's applicable for this type of situation that we know you've seen before, um, just to make sure that it is a rational idea. <laughs> so we do have those SME or subject matter expert interviews um, fairly often throughout the day. Um, so obviously my schedule is quite flexible on the day, um, but it's always going to include um, touch bases with my team that are fairly informal. It's going to include touch bases with my client that are much more structured and prepared for. It's going to include alone time where I'm focusing on data analyzation. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> data analysis. Um, and then also time to pull together a cohesive story. And then we leave all together in the same rental car and go grab dinner together um, or apart and head back to our cozy hotel for the night. Do you have any work to be done, I mean, on a regular basis or do you typically get to have dinner and you're done for the day? So I think work in general is always going to have ups and downs. Mm -hmm. um, that can be applied in consulting as well in the same way that it's also really dependent upon your team and your client environment. So I would say in general, I do often reserve myself a few hours um, and I make that a priority in my team and often my leaders support that where we leave at six or seven from the office, we go and grab dinner, it's relaxed, no one's talking about work and I try not to let the topic turn to sports because I can't contribute. Um, <laughs> and then we go back to the hotel room. I would say 50 to 75% of the time I do have work to continue to be done once I get back to the hotel room. Um, but I make sure to work out and if I'm motivated, um, call family, watch a TV show, and then I hop back online for just a little bit longer. Cool. I mean, is that typically in the, I mean, sometimes uh, it's like a 30 minute check-in or for some people, of course, like you're saying, it's so highly dependent, but um, someone listening who gets into this type of work, I'm sure at times it can very well be like another four hour chunk or it, it, for you, do you typically experience like maybe just hop on for another two or an hour or something? I would say my average is probably hopping on for like an hour and a half or until okay. my email inbox is done. I have had experiences where it's a shorter term project or it's a project with um, overseas touches. And mm -hmm. those are often the cases where you see a lot more after hours work. Um, so I was on a project where a key client counterpart was in China, which required um, calls early in the morning or calls late at night to review our analysis um, in the same way that shorter projects are often going to be higher intensity because your deliverables or your expectations are so crunched. So you have constant check-ins um, with your client and you're expected to turn out analysis and insights a lot faster. So you're not able to pace your work quite as much. Um, but in theory, your team should be staffed appropriately to avoid that. In theory, cool, in theory. yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, what do you enjoy about your job? I love 
that it's a giant puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. um, and that's specifically what drew me to the supply chain operations side, but I think it's applicable to all of consulting. Um, not to get too pie in the sky here, but I do think at our core, consultants really enjoy complex problems and they enjoy those nasty, not kind of problems where no one has been able to unravel into a straight line yet um, to be able to get from point A to point B. Um, and we get to sit in that and to determine what is the problem um, and get really at the core of the problem. And we get to determine like, well, what are all the different scenarios of if we make this decision or that decision? Um, and that never goes away. The problem itself changes every single time, um, but ultimately you get to be tasked with something that someone else couldn't figure out. Um, mm. And that's really exciting, I think, in nature. Um, and I also really like the caliber at which I'm expected to work. Um, I work with incredibly bright people that have high expectations for my performance. Um, and that personally is how I'm motivated. Um, I'm motivated by taking on more work and like knocking it out of the park. Um, and I'm constantly in that kind of environment. Um, and I'm working around studs that I wanna be at their level and I wanna learn from them. Um, and so that kind of pace is really driving for me. And now is the part where you tell us what is a little bit less glamorous or if you could replace it, you would <laughs> about the job. Yeah, um, I won't belabor the travel thing too much because I think you can Google that. Um, traveling for work is never going to be glamorous mm -hmm. and well, that actually never worth might, it. It might be a total shocker to some of the people. Listening. Okay, I can, I can definitely dig into the bummers about that a little bit because um, <laughs> they are real. Um, so the bummer is if you are in a traveling project and it's not always necessarily a given, but it is common in our industry. Um, it means you get up at 4 or 5 a.m. on Mondays um, and you often don't get back home until late on Thursdays if your flight's not canceled. Um, and what that means in between Monday and Thursday is obviously you're not home, but you're also with a team of people the entire time. <laughs> which is why finding a firm that is a really good culture fit is critical because you spend all of your four days with these people from car rides to the hotels, to your lunches, to your dinners. Um, and if it works, it works, but if it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. Um, and so you get really used to being on a team and you get used to small hotel gyms um, you get used to a lot of Chipotle. Um, it's everywhere in small town USA. Um, and you get used to having to be flexible with your schedule. So it's definitely something that not everyone is a fan of, um, but it's something you need to go into industry knowing will be a possibility that you could potentially be traveling long term. Mm -hmm. um, I personally prefer to travel rather than to be on a local project because I like the separation, I don't know if this is like a good thing to say on this podcast, but separation of church and state. <laughs> sure. Um, I like that Monday through Thursday, it's work. And my friends, my family, where I live, don't have the expectation that I'm supposed to be somewhere on a Tuesday night because they're like, oh, she's literally not in the state. Um, 
obviously I can text call, FaceTime, catch up throughout the weeks. So that's fine, but I'm not participating in something. Um, but then when I'm here on the weekends, I'm here on the weekends. Um, and I like that separation when oftentimes on a local project, you don't have that luxury. You might be, I often say working traveling hours, but not getting the benefits of traveling um, mm-hmm. because you're working a little bit later or you do have to hop back online like I do. I have no problem hopping back online when I'm in a hotel room with nothing else to do. But if I'm at home, I'm going to want to do something else. Um, so that's why I prefer to travel. I think another thing that is important to note that's not glamorous about the job is in its nature, it is professional services and you are a luxury to your client at every point, which means that you answer to your client. Um, And so for people that are not interested in fully owning something because they don't get to run it all the way down to success, um, this isn't the kind of industry you need to go in because you eventually have to walk away from your product and you eventually have to let your client make the final decision. That can manifest in a lot of different ways. Being professional services, it can be either quick turnarounds on something because they have a request um, and you're kind of at their beck and call. Or it can be, like I mentioned, you don't own it. And so eventually you do have to walk away from it. Yeah, definitely. What type of personality or strengths, characteristics, skills all those attributes, um, generally do you feel kind of make somebody well-suited to consulting? So definitely someone that can operate in an ambiguous environment. Um, You are often, like I mentioned, tasked with these problems that are, you know, ratted hairballs. um, And you often don't always know what is the question um, and how should we answer? You never go into a project with this exact template and we're going to replicate it and it's going to be great and ta-da. You often have unforeseen circumstances flying at you where you're like, I didn't know that was going to be an input Um, or this client came in opposition of our idea and we had absolutely no clue and now we need to turn around. Um, So you're constantly living in that ambiguous environment and so someone that is comfortable with that and excited by that is someone that does really well in consulting Um, in the same way that someone who is very structured in their way of thinking Um, you often hear about this is pulled out in our way of interviewing potential candidates in our case studies Um, we often frame rather than traditional interview questions we like to see how candidates process problems. Um, And so if you are the type of person that can take that really messy, complicated, and find structure in ambiguity, you do really well. But someone who also enjoys that, I think is perfect. Those don't always sit in the same Venn diagram. Yep. The last thing that makes a really good consultant is someone who is self-driven. For it being such a large company most often, even even small companies, um, someone with an entrepreneurial spirit does well within consulting because you're always working in this kind of startup mentality of we've got to get this problem off the ground and we need to figure it out. Um, Let's pull up our bootstraps. 
Um, you need someone who is going to have the stamina in the way that an entrepreneur does um, and can motivate themselves um, in tough situations because our problems and our clients are often difficult. You need to be able to motivate yourself. What educational or experiential qualifications do you feel are typically required to get a job at a company like yours? Like even academic performance level too. So what's fun about consulting is that we recruit from any major, <laughs> um, but we only recruit top tier students. So what we're looking for isn't so much what is your expertise in a certain area. Um, so I have seen people from engineering schools. I've seen people from the business school. I've seen people with history majors. Um, one of my favorite analysts of all time was a history major at Rice. And she could talk my ear off about lots of historical things um, that I had absolutely no idea on. But why she was a really good consultant is because she proved herself to have the discipline to excel in her area, um, but also she was able to always provide context for every decision. Mm. Um, so you can come from any academic background, um, but as far as academic performance, GPA expectations are fairly high. And that's to show that you have been able to um, kind of put your head down and work really hard at something because that's what we expect in our job. Mm -hmm. um, but then beyond academic performance, we look for leadership. So that is leadership in your community, in your university, in somewhere else in your life where you have proven that you have been able to lead others towards a common goal um, because we want to see how you've worked through adversity. We want to see that you have been able to motivate others um, and get others to trust you because those are often things that we face in our, um, in our projects. Is there anything specific you would recommend someone interested in pursuing a career like yours do to get their foot in the door beyond just look up open job postings and cold applies and your resume in? Or maybe that works, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so there's a few traditional and then a few untraditional ways of getting into consulting. So traditionally, um, we do have often heavy recruiting in from undergrad programs um, to come in as analyst and then also for MBA programs to come in as a more experienced consultant. So those are always going to be the easiest ways if you're at a target school and a consulting company walks on in, odds are you already know about consulting or you are exposed to it. Um, for the situations where you're not in a target school but you're at one of those classic inflection points, there is still a way to weasel your way in. Um, it's just more networking based. So that is going to be reaching out to recruiters and doing your classic LinkedIn stalking, um, both for recruiters, but then also maybe alumni of your school that work for the company. Um, there's always going to be a robust referral program. Mm -hmm. And so if you can prove yourself worthy of their time for meeting you, um, oftentimes it's simply the connection of alumni that they're willing to hop on a call with you, pick their brains, understand what is consulting from their expertise, understand where you think you could fit in that firm, mm -hmm. um, and then not so shyly ask for a route in, whether that's a referral or a connection to a recruiter, don't be shy about that. Mm -hmm. Those are classic ways. Um, the 
networking option is also someone that wants to come from um, an untraditional route or as an experienced hire. So if you're not at the natural inflection point of graduating undergrad or an MBA program, you can certainly still find your way in a consulting job. Um, it's becoming more and more common as the need for functional or industry experts is more and more realized in our projects. It just requires a little bit more research on your end in figuring out where your expertise best lies for that firm. So if you have been, I know, for example, working in your Six Sigma Black Belt, working for a typical consumer goods uh, company, and you're really interested about consulting, that kind of experience is needed in a consulting firm. Just figure out where in the organizational structure do those skills fit. That company likely has supply chain and operations um, and there are specific recruiters for that. So you can navigate your way there. Same through recruiters and alumni are the best bits. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that is a little golden nugget right there. Don't underestimate the fact that if you are really a qualified candidate and you really do make a very good impression on the person you're networking with, there is a fat bonus involved for like recruiting um, people into the organization. So make that, uh, yeah, use that. Um, so to wrap up with a fun bonus question, um, what do you think got you this job? Like what, if you have like a story or um, a connection or maybe some something on your resume that they were like, oh, obviously this girl, perfect. So I went through a really traditional recruiting route. So I was at a target school. I was in the business school. I was a management major. I was very aware of what consulting was and had previously interned with another consulting firm. So I was like, all right, let's just put an application in. Um, so I will say I had the easy route to get my foot in the door because of all of the intangibles that I wasn't in charge of were already lined up for me. Um, what I think distinguished me as a candidate and what ultimately got me the job was my leadership experience. So like I said, we always look for someone who has navigated um, experiences, whether within an organization, in school, or their community, or their family, but has shown the capability to navigate um, a difficult situation or lead others through a difficult situation to a common goal um, is something that we look for and that's what I believe I showed in my interview process. A large part of my college experience was being in a sorority um, and I'm here to say that being in Greek life is a positive when job searching <laughs> because I had leadership throughout my entire sorority experience um, and where I served on our executive councils for three years. Um, and so I was able to really eloquently speak to how in the past I have led large groups of women. And let me tell you, that is the hardest group to lead. <laughs> um, large groups of women towards a common goal. And that was growing and building our sorority. Um, and I had shown that I was diligent about that, that I had done that for three years. I had shown that it was successful because we did triple our sorority size over three years. Um, and I had shown that it wasn't always easy because like I mentioned, a group of girls is difficult and there's always going to be unique and unforeseen circumstances in leading an organization like that. 
Um, and so I was able to say, look at how unique and applicable this experience is to the consulting world. Because in the future, I will be leading in ambiguous environments. I will be leading sometimes in adversity. And I will be leading, hopefully, a large team of people that trust me. And I've done it in the past, and I'm going to do it for you. Heck yeah, I'll hire you right now, if I could. <laughs> or if you actually wanted to leave your quite prestigious role to work for me. Um, improbable at best, but I love the thought of it. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Taylor Arndt for president, thank you so much <laughs> for sharing your really impactful experiences and your perspective on what it's looked like or what it looks like to work at a firm like yours. So thank you so much, Taylor. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the job library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Benchable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.